Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will turn to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, 
the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other, the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in their temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour for all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hey everyone, wasn't it fantastic just seeing all those different faces reading the Bible to us and not a single mistake in the whole thing on that take at least. Mind you, mistakes are just part of being human, aren't they? Everyone makes mistakes. And yet some mistakes that we make in life are bigger than other mistakes. So take a look at this guy, for instance. He's just made a pretty big mistake. Let me frame it for you. He was driving from right to left in the picture and he crashed through the guardrail up where people are standing. And then he flipped end over end over end right over the top of the little ditch there. And he's ended up facing the completely wrong direction which makes it a pretty serious accident, doesn't it? Going through a guardrail, flipping a ditch, that's a serious mistake. But you only realise just how big a mistake it was when you pull back and you see the magnitude of it. Now that, that is a big mistake, isn't it? Some mistakes that we make in life are much bigger than others. And today we are going to meet some people who make that mistake look like nothing. We're going to meet some people today who made the single biggest mistake in history. You think you've made mistakes in your life? Wait till you meet these guys. But Acts chapter 2 actually starts off with a curious event. Jews from every nation are gathered together in Jerusalem. Now there's nothing particularly curious about that. The Jews gathered in Jerusalem for three festivals every year. They gathered to celebrate the Passover feast, which was when Jesus died. They gathered for something called the Feast of Tabernacles. And then they also gathered to celebrate something called Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was their harvest festival. They also called it the First Fruits Festival because they gathered, they celebrated the harvest, and they offered their first fruits up to God. So there was actually nothing very curious about the fact that Jews were gathered in Jerusalem. No, what was curious is what they saw. So have a look in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, Jesus' disciples were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire 
that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came running together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Hardly amazed, they asked, aren't all these people who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them, each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. So Jesus' disciples, they gather together for this great feast. And just like Jesus promised, in Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit comes on them. Remember, Jesus promised that in Acts 1. And then a great wind comes from heaven and tongues of fire rest on top of of the, the uh, disciples and, and a very strange thing happens. They start speaking in other languages, foreign tongues. And you can see the languages there in verse 9. It's Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and so on. And everyone's blown away. So verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Because you see, that's the thing about miracles. Miracles are really impressive and all, but what do they mean? What should you make of a miracle if you happen to see one? See, imagine for a minute that I did a miracle. Imagine I reached down through the camera, through your TV and onto your coffee table, and I picked up some of the morning tea and I brought it back through the camera and I ate it. That would be some miracle, wouldn't it? Especially since some of you have no food on your coffee table. But what on earth would that mean? What should you think after you see that miracle? Would it mean that I'm God? Would it mean that I'm from the devil? You see, even though miracles are impressive, they don't actually tell you very much. They have to be interpreted. Some people even think that the apostles are drunk. And so for the rest of the chapter, Peter explains what this great miracle means. And the first thing he says is, this is what Joel promised. Pick it up in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter says, Joel explains what this miracle means. This is exactly what Joel spoke about 800 years ago. And Joel was talking about 
the end of the world. See in verse 20, Joel talks about the great and glorious day of the Lord. Now, right the way through the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is the day when God judges his world. So Zephaniah chapter 1 says, the great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. See what the day of the Lord's like? Anguish, wrath, distress. God invades like a mighty warrior. Or Isaiah 13, see the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkness, darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I'll put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. See what the day of the Lord was like in the Old Testament? Day of wrath and fierce anger. God just tears his whole creation down as he judges the world. And Joel talks about it in those terms too, doesn't he? So Acts chapter 2 verse 19, I'll show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Joel talks about the day of the Lord as judgment too, because that's what the day of the Lord is. It's judgment day. And yet, Joel didn't just talk about it as judgment day. The day of the Lord was also salvation day when God would bless and save his people. It was the day of the Holy Spirit and miracles and prophecy. So see Acts chapter 2 verse 16, the bit that Peter quotes. This was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit on those days and they'll prophesy and I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. You see, the day of the Lord was also salvation day. The Spirit poured out miracles and prophecy. And verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. <clears throat> you see, the day of the Lord was both judgment and salvation. For God's enemies, judgment, blood, fire, billows of smoke, cruel, wrath, anger. For God's people, the Holy Spirit and prophecy and salvation. And Peter says that, that is what this miracle means. These people, this means the day of the Lord has come. Because look, the Spirit has been poured out, just like Joel said. And these people, these people are speaking other languages. They've received the Holy Spirit and now they're prophesying, just like Joel promised that they would, which means you guys know what comes next. Judgment Day comes next. Blood, fire, billows of smoke. That's what comes next, the day of the Lord. Now, I imagine for everyone in Jerusalem, 
that would have come as a bit of a shock, right? They're just there for the Pentecost, the First Fruits Festival, and all of a sudden, Peter's telling them the world's about to end. Why? What's happened? Why now? And Peter says, Jesus, he's what happened. Because look what Peter says next in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter said, you want to know why judgment days come, the day of the Lord? Because of Jesus. You see, just as an aside, Acts chapter 2 is not actually about speaking in tongues. I mean, speaking in tongues is there, but Peter doesn't talk about it, does he? What Peter talks about is Jesus. Because remember, all of Acts is really about Jesus. And Peter says, Jesus is why the day of the Lord has come. For a start, in verse 22, God did miracles and wonders and signs through Jesus. And what did Joel say would happen on the day of the Lord? Well, wonders and signs. You see, Jesus' coming was actually the beginning of the day of the Lord. Jesus' coming was the beginning of the end of the world. And anyone watching Jesus closely and seeing all these miracles and wonders and signs should have thought to themselves, hang on a minute. All these miracles that Jesus is doing, Jesus talked about that. That's what they should have been thinking. But what did they do instead? Well, verse 23, you, with the help of wicked men, put Jesus to death by nailing him on the cross. God sends Jesus to warn you with miracles, wonders and signs that the day of the Lord is near. And what do you do? You kill him. You kill God's messenger. And now you can imagine how the Jews are starting to feel at this point, can't you? Ooh, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't have killed that guy. Maybe that was a mistake. But actually it gets worse. Because look in verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. They killed Jesus. But God raised him from the dead. God has reversed their decision. In fact, God reversed it in the most emphatic way you could ever imagine. Because not only does God raise Jesus from the dead, God raises Jesus up to the heavenly throne, to David's heavenly throne at God's right hand. Look in verse 25. David said this about him, Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now, David wrote those words in Psalm 16, about a thousand years before Jesus 
And as you read Psalm 16, if you don't know anything about Jesus, it looks like David's not going to die, doesn't it? David says he's not going to be abandoned to the grave. His body isn't going to decay. He's going to live with God. It looks like David isn't expecting to die when you read Psalm 16. Problem is, everyone in Jerusalem does know that Jesus did die. So look what Peter says next in verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently, the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is right here to this day. But he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. See, Peter says, David's words were true in Psalm 16. He just wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about Jesus, the Christ, the king who'd come from his family. See, Jesus was David's descendant, wasn't he? And now God has raised Jesus from the dead. And in verse 33, Jesus has been exalted to God's right hand. That's where he went at the end of Acts chapter 1. And Jesus is in heaven ruling. And in verse 33, Jesus has poured out the Spirit. That Jesus whom you humiliated, that Jesus whom you killed, that Jesus is now ruling in heaven with God. And in verses 34 and 35, Peter says, the very next thing that's going to happen is Jesus is going to come and judge the world. All of his enemies are going to be made a footstool for his feet. Jesus is going to punish. It's the day of the Lord. And guess who the Lord is? Jesus, the one you killed. Judgment day is at hand. And guess who the judge is? Jesus, the fellow you guys crucified. God has raised him up to heaven. He's poured out the Holy Spirit which means you know what's coming next. Do you see what Peter's saying to them? Really, verse 36 says it all. Have a look at verse 36. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. It's the day of the Lord. And guess who the Lord happens to be? It's the rule of Christ. And guess who the Christ happens to be? The guy you guys killed. It's judgment day. And you guys just crucified the judge. Now that's a big mistake, isn't it? I don't know what mistakes you've made in your life. I've made some pretty big ones. As a 19-year-old, I crashed into the back of a brand new Mercedes and pushed it into the back of a brand new BMW. That was financially a fairly big mistake to have made. You might have made bigger ones. But I'm guessing you've never actually crucified God's Christ, have you? I reckon you haven't taken the Lord of the universe and hung him up on a cross. It was the single biggest mistake in history. And they know it. Because look what they say in verse 37. When the people heard this, 
They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Too right. Good question. I think they're done for, don't you? Except for what Peter says next. What Peter says next is extraordinary. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children. And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter says it's not actually too late. Oh, sure, you've made the biggest mistake in human history, but it turns out you can still be forgiven. You can still be saved. If only you turn back to Jesus. Because remember, that was the other side of the day of the Lord. Yes, there's judgment on the day of the Lord, but Joel promised everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter says, call on the name of Jesus. Repent, which means turn around. Be baptized. And baptism here is a symbol that you call on Jesus to be saved. Peter is saying, if you do that, you'll be saved on the day of the Lord. You'll get the Holy Spirit as well, just like we have. You'll be one of Jesus' people on the day of the Lord. It's the most wonderful promise. That no matter how big the mistake you've made, forgiveness is on offer. No matter what mistake you've made in life, Jesus' death can pay for you. They know what's even better. They grab it. They grab it. Look in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread. And everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. You see, these people, they do call on the name of Jesus and they are saved. 3,000 of them in one afternoon. And in verse 47, Jesus is adding daily to their number. They have gone from making the single biggest mistake in human history to being on the right side of the day of the Lord, to being saved on the day of the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? No matter what you have done in life, you can come back to Jesus. Turn around, confess what you've done and trust that Jesus died in your place. Isn't Acts 2 a wonderful passage? It's the first step of Jesus conquering the whole world. So you remember last week, what we saw is that the book of Acts is Jesus' story. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's not the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus' Acts. As from heaven, he sends his witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Jesus, Acts is Jesus conquering human hearts by the Holy Spirit and pouring out his blessing on the day of the Lord. Acts is Jesus' story. And these people in Acts chapter 2, they're just the first people to make Jesus' story 
their own story. And they begin to experience the blessings of Jesus on the day of the Lord. Just have a look at the description of that little church, that new church. It's not little, it's 3,000 people. That new church. That's a church you'd want to go to, isn't it? They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, like he said. They devote themselves to fellowship. They're eating together. Verse 46, they break bread in each other's homes and they eat together with glad and sincere hearts. And they look after each other. They sell each other. They sell property and possessions to care for each other. That is the picture of an ideal church, isn't it? It's hard to imagine a better church than that. What it is a picture of is blessing. It's a picture of the Lord's people being blessed on the day of the Lord. It's the first fruits of salvation. They're living the first fruits of blessing on the day of the Lord. See, that's the thing about church. We tend to view church as an earthly institution, Hunter Bible Church, Uni Church. And we generally think, we've, if we've been around churches for a long time, we often see what's wrong with church, don't we? Whether this went well, that went well, there are leadership disputes and so on, church politics. We view church as a human institution, but actually here in Acts 2, the church is the gathering of Jesus' blessed people. The church is the people that Jesus draws to himself to love and to save and to pour out his spirit on them. And yes, church can always be done better. Of course it can. But, but to belong to Jesus' church is the most wonderful privilege and blessing you can ever have. On the day of the Lord, which has come, you are one of the blessed. That's one of the reasons why we can't wait to get back together. Because being gathered by Jesus is one of the signs of his blessing. Notice how gathering is part of what this new church does. Verse 42, they devote themselves to fellowship. Verse 44, the believers are all together. Verse 46, every day they continue to meet. Verse 46 again, they break bread together in each other's homes. This church just constantly gathers together because gathering is more than just what they do on a Sunday. It's a sign of Jesus' blessing. That's why we want to get back together. The world is under judgment. The day of the Lord has come. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. But we gather because we are Jesus' blessed people. That's why it's so important for us to regather. As we regather, it's a taste of our heavenly future. Regathering is a taste of our heavenly future. And mind you, like Sam said, it's going to feel a little bit different. It's going to be a bit odd the first few weeks. We'll still be socially distancing, you know, missing the high fives and all that sort of stuff. And we still don't know what we're going to be doing about singing. And like Sam said, the kids' ministry is going to be different. We've had this wonderful blessing of uni churches doing so much of our kids' stuff for us, but we're probably going to have to all pitch in and help for a good while, and maybe things will change forever now. But we want to regather. We want to get together because the gathered church, like that very first day, is a sign of being blessed by Jesus on the day of the Lord. And when you think about it, Acts chapter 2, it's just a wonderful picture of a story we want to see retold in Newey and Lake Mac, isn't it? Acts 2 is a story we want to see repeated again and again and again, hundreds, thousands of times in Newey and Lake Mac. Thousands of people moving from judgment to salvation. 
thousands of people moving from death to life and moving into Jesus' church. This is exactly, Acts 2 is exactly the story that we're hoping will be repeated here in Nui and Lake Mac, and not just here, but all over the world. Think of the people out there in Nui and Lake Mac this morning who Jesus' story is going to become their story. They don't even know it yet. But Jesus is going to invade their lives. Think of all the people that Jesus is about to bless with salvation in the next 18 months, just like he blessed those people at Pentecost. Whose story are you going to be part of as Jesus does that? Let's pray. Our great God, we praise you that, Jesus, that death could not keep its hold on Jesus. That even though he was crucified, you raised him. Not just to life, but to heaven. That he now sits on David's throne, ruling until he makes his enemies a footstool for his feet. We praise you that he poured out the Spirit, that now we live in the day of the Lord. We praise you that this means not just judgment, but salvation. And we call on the name of the Lord. We call on Jesus' name to be saved. We long for the day when we'll be with Jesus in heaven. And thank you that church, just like on that day of Pentecost, church is the first fruits of blessing. Just as the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of salvation, we thank you that you gather us and we can't wait to regather. And we can't wait to see who you gather with us. Please, we pray that just like on that day, you would bring thousands of people to experience Jesus' blessings and salvation. Thousands of people to receive the Holy Spirit and to trust in Jesus. And we look forward to seeing their stories and we want to be part of it. We want to be part of it because we love you and we love them. Amen.